Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to our podcast, y'all. I'm Jahan Jones. Phoenix, Arizona's own, and I'm unquestionably black. I know a lot of people say they're unapologetically black, but that means that we take the question of our blackness into consideration, and I ain't doing that. I ain't looking for no affirmations. Being black is who I am. It's what I do. It's how I operate, and that's that. I know that's right. Mm. (laughs) Gotta lay it down for him. Gotta lay it down. (laughs) Hey, y'all. I'm Taryn Finley. I'm from Dayton, Ohio, of course. If you ain't heard about it, open up Google Maps. I cover race and culture, talk a lot of shit, and I stay caping for black women. When I'm not eating crab legs, I'm fighting against bigotry and being on hold with customer service. And I feel like if I had a hinge profile, that's all it would say, you know? That's all you need to know about (laughs) it. I'm with that. I'm with it. I'm here for it, too. And last but not least, it's your boy Shaquille Ramblay. I'm a proud Brooklyn boy who loves all things queer, all things Beyonce, of course, who doesn't, all things black spirituality. But what I love most right now is attempting to break it down at a party. I'm a black Jamaican boy and I can't dance, but we're learning, we're learning, we're learning. <laughs> we're getting there, a little wine every, every so often. <laughs> HuffPost really messed up when they gave us a show during a global pandemic, y'all. I don't know about y'all, but I'm a little bit unhinged right now because the world is on <laughs> fire. So guess what? We're here to talk about all things black. The news, our views, and everything else that falls in between the timelines, the headlines, the lineups at your local barbershop, mm. the lines at your local <laughs> swap meet. All the up. lines out of Gucci, whatever, whatever. Every We're time. here to talk about it all. Show enough, show enough. And of course, politics, because as you know, no justice, no peace. And we're not the quiet type, so we're really looking forward to driving the political discussion as we lead up to the election and, of course, beyond. And we're definitely going to go high with you and low with you every now and then. Sorry, Michelle. From celebrating <laughs> queens like my girl Yangla to shading the boys like Attorney General Daniel Cameron. And one thing you can get about us, okay, off rip, is that we'll be celebrating and highlighting why our life, culture, and experiences are invaluable, are the shits. Don't pardon my French. Now, all are welcome to listen, okay? But let's get one thing straight from jump, because I don't want to hear no mess in my Twitter mentions, emails, none of that. This podcast is for us, by us, okay? And that's that. So let's get right to it. We have to start with Breonna Taylor news. Now, after Breonna was killed during a no-knock raid at her apartment back in March, her family settled a suit with the state for $12 million. But now a grand jury is calling for transparency after the attorney general did not charge any of the officers uh, for murder after she was killed. The development, the mishandling, the lack of accountability, all of these things that equate to no justice for her family, They are, though not surprising, considering how other, um, how this country handles instances when black people are killed by, by the police, by the state, though it's not surprising, it still is just so infuriating and we are so tired, so, so tired. 
I have to say amen to what Taryn is saying. It's like we call for Black Lives Matter, but what we get is a street, Black Lives Matter, Boulevard, Black Lives Matter, Plaza. Fuck all that bullshit. What we want is to be treated equally to our counterparts. There is no reason why a woman who was sleeping in her home, sleeping, doing no illegal activity, should be dead right now and she's getting no justice for her murder. Right, right. Now, as I mentioned, uh, the case is, I mean, all the statements that have come from Attorney General Daniel Cameron, who is black, I must say, have been undermined ever since he came out with the announcement he would not be bringing charges uh, against the officers for murder. One of the grand jurors in the case is actually suing and successfully sued to have uh, Cameron turn over Uh, some of the details of the data after the juror's attorney said the public deserves to know everything. So the calls for justice are not ending. Um, As we all know, I mean, Brianna's name was being shouted from every corner of the earth, it seemed. It was on NBA games and on the back of jerseys and in social media posts. So this is not a conversation that's going to wane anytime soon. And it shouldn't. And it shouldn't, because when you when you look at the history of violence, of state sanctioned violence towards black people, black women's pain is always erased constantly, constantly. And not even just state sanctioned violence, like literally you go towards any corner, any area of life, whether it be school, whether it be work, uh, whether it be medicine. Literally all of these things like the the motherhood mortality rate of uh, of black women, like literally the fact that we are discriminated against when it comes to like literally our hair. When you think hell, even one of the biggest news stories of quarantine in, in hip hop, when you think of like literally Meg the Stallion having mm-hmm. to show her foot, having to show her shot foot, mm-hmm. like having to show evidence to prove that she was in pain. And then for someone like Tory Lanez, who essentially Meg accused of shooting her, the fact that like you literally drop an album capitalizing off the publicity of this real woman's pain, like is very symbolic. Like literally the day after Breonna Taylor's murderers got to essentially walk free. Right. I'm sorry, I'm getting I'm getting a bit razzled and a bit emotional because Last week was really difficult for me as a black woman to see this concentrated like effort of what it felt like society reminding me and reminding black women in general that we don't give a fuck about you. We don't give a fuck about your pain, like fuck justice for you, because guess what? Justice for Breonna Taylor did not look like her her family getting $12 million. It did not look like a Black Lives Matter painting on the street. It did not look like her her face on Vanity Fair. That is, that is not justice. Justice for Breonna Taylor looks like Breonna Taylor being here, being able to celebrate her 27th birthday, being able to live her full life. But we constantly ignore that, especially when it comes to black women, especially when it comes to black trans people. Yeah, exactly. And um, Taryn, you know what's the craziest thing about Tory Lanez's new album is that he's donating some of the proceeds to Breonna Taylor. So this is just so fucking insane to me, right? You kind of represent, you symbolize the abuse that Black women consistently face all over the world. 
especially in this country though, but all over the world, right? And right now, one of the biggest headlines all over the world is a black woman losing her life while she was sleeping. So you go from making a, a album or a record lying about abusing a woman to using that money to kind of donate to the family to help them heal. It, what is that about? Because it's, it's inherent hypocrisy in supporting <sighs> black women in this country, even for black men, even for black men. Like after the news that the cops were getting off, all I saw on my timeline was the quote of Malcolm X, the most disrespected, unprotected woman in, in or person uh, in the world is a black woman. Like, and I'm paraphrasing. Clearly, Can't name the speech, but, but they know the quote. Like literally, like, and it's not even that. It's not even that. It's the fact that you can't even like live in that. You can't even accept that as the truth in other areas in your life, in all facets of your life. I don't give a damn if you can't name the speech, but if you sit up there and you post that quote, then you turn around, you stream Tory Lanez, you turn around, you shit on the black women in your life. You turn around, you say, oh, I don't date black women because da da da. If you turn around and you like literally exude all of this violence that literally leads to us being killed, literally leads to to us having um, our livelihoods cut, then honestly, fuck you, period. Whew. I, I, it's crazy to transition from that. Unfortunately, the news surrounding Breonna Taylor and Megan Thee Stallion is not going away anytime soon, but we have to get into another story that has dominated my timeline and is not going away. Did y'all watch the presidential debate this week? Of course. Child, you know I wasted my time and did that. <laughs> I surely did too. And it felt like the Battle of the Golden Boys, WWE Seniors Edition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the one moment that sticks out to me was when the Fox News moderator, Chris Wallace, asked President Trump, 45th, to denounce white supremacy. And he goes, oh, here's the clip. Here's the clip. I'm not even going to tell you what he said. Look at the clip. Are you willing tonight? to condemn white supremacists and militia groups sure. and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland. Sure, Are you I'm prepared to, to do specifically that, do it? Well, I, go would ahead, say, I would say almost everything I see is from the left wing. Not from the right so wing. So what are you? What are you, you look, what are you saying? I'm, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see well, peace. Then do it, sir. Say I'm, it. Do it. Say it. You want to call them? What do you want to call them? Give me a name. Give me a white name. White supremacists and white supremacists and white supremacists. Stand back and stand by. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left because. Okay, y'all. So Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina, who is a black man, he said that he thinks that President Trump misspoke. What do y'all think? I mean, so just to provide some background, Tim Scott is one of the most reliable uh, Trump-supporting senators. He has routinely defended Trump when Trump has said racist things in the past, so it's no surprise that uh, he would come out and kind of uh, dance for Trump in this case. But I, it just speaks to the point that people have been making between both the Breonna Taylor case and, and the several instances of black men not defending black women that, you know, all, all skin folk ain't kin folk, you know? I really wish that I could sing the song that was playing in my head when we said that, but I'm not even going to touch Tim Scott. What I am going to touch is the fact that that debate, debate number one, was such a shit show. 
on so many levels like I was sitting there embarrassed literally Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. embarrassed and it's not like any of this was a surprise you know but I think when you when you put it on stage when you put it um in in this platform you have a fascist president and you have his opponent you know Biden who you know honestly a lot of black people just don't have faith in and you know rightfully so I would have hoped that there were would be like some definitive answers about that and in at least an ounce of of hope especially for those who are undecided you know going in into the election but I think that last night it looked like a a bravo real housewives of Potomac (laughs) reunion you have Trump's wig slipping you have this man (laughs) literally lying out the side of his mouth and then Biden unfortunately he just didn't perform well even though he checked he called Trump a clown he called him a liar the worst president all of these things exactly he told him to shut up but you know he didn't say it with his chest And I feel like when a lot of people, especially a lot of undecided Americans are looking at this and looking at performance, they're not doing the fact checking. They're not doing the, you know, all of the analytical things that, you know, some folks are doing. The casual voter is going to look at this and be like, wow, I don't know what the fuck to do. And the crazy thing about it is I I know for a fact that 45 did not misspeak because you have not denounced David Duke. Or it took you a very long time to denounce the KKK. When it was intentional, you. yes. Yes. You, um, when they asked you to denounce the Proud Boys, you, you did it so casually. And if you do not align yourself with racism, that is something you do speak up with your chest about. Okay, because he spoke up with his chest about everything else. Trump was on stage. He was a bully. He cut off the moderator. He cut off that weak-ass moderator. He cut off <laughs> Biden Wallace, so many Wallace. times. Like, you could literally tell. But when you're asked, when you're we're straight up asked about denouncing white supremacist group, you stutter. Yeah. What does that say to me? Yeah. I mean, to your point, it was a chaotic debate. I don't know. Wild as hell. I don't know that there are undecided voters. I don't believe that. I don't know how. I don't know how that's possible. I know that the percentages don't indicate that there's a wide margin of people that remain undecided at this point. I don't even know how that could happen given the kind of diametric opposition the two candidates have to one another politically. And I also wonder sometimes why, I mean, I think the determination as to whether or not the debate was helpful or not depends on why you were watching it. You know, I think most people watch it not to be swayed in one way or another, but to have a lot of their uh, viewpoints affirmed by the candidate they've already selected. Um, And I think in that regard, I mean, the candidates were very clear about what they support and what they do not support. So it was chaotic, but I... I wasn't as offended by the spectacle as everyone else because I've just come to accept that politics are uh, this vicious kind of acerbic environment wherein people have conversations like this. The last point that I want to hit on is the next debate, they need to call NeNe Leaks, they need to call (laughs) Tiffany Pollard, they need to call Wendy Williams, they need to call a black woman or old I guess the fuck so. (laughs) That shit was terrible. I'm sorry, Jahan, that that was embarrassing. (laughs) Ain't nobody arguing with you about that. Call call Taryn Finley. I mean, shit, call Shaquille or call Jahan. Call somebody. But Chris Wallace, I'm sorry, man, like, if you are at the peak of journalism and you're allowing 45 to bully you and not get your questions out for the American people, that's a damn disgrace too. 
I don't know about y'all, but I cannot watch another debate, another presidential debate that is that white and that male. I oh, refuse. I'm saying, I'm saying, I refuse. So they need to get it together. I know Kamala and Pence are coming up next week. I'll be watching that. Will y'all? Hell yeah, she gonna eat him alive. Oh, you know that. That's what she do. She's a she's a prosecutor, so she gonna prosecute. It's a shit show, y'all. Politics is in a complete hot mess. Thankfully, we're joined by rising star Democrat Jamal Bowman after the break. So stay with us, y'all. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Y'all, this is an important election year, not just for president. And I'm so, 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 so excited to welcome our guest today. He's a newcomer. I feel like it's, this deserves a drum roll or something like that. You know? <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> he's, a, he's a newcomer, but he defeated the 16-term incumbent for New York's 16th district. Former principal, Wu-Tang connoisseur, <laughs> comes from the birthplace of hip-hop. I'm talking about Jamal Bowman. Thank you so much for joining us on this very first episode. You're our inaugural guest sir peace and love everyone this is jamal bowman democrat for new york's 16th district and that's that thank you so much for having me it's a pleasure to be your inaugural guest appreciate you absolutely absolutely and speaking of wu-tang clan we got a very very tough question for you at the end of the interview but we'll save that for uh, later okay. <laughs> uh, uh, damn you got i'm a, that's gonna be in the back of my mind the entire interview let me i'll try to stay focused you know, on each question i'm just so excited talking to you i feel like i'm talking to a fellow brother from new york and what I know to be true about you is before running for office, you was a principal in the Bronx. And we all know that being a principal is an extremely tough job. But what inspired you to get into politics? You know, what made you decide to make that jump? Well, when you work in the school system, you are already in politics by default. A lot of people don't realize how political the New York City public education system is and how political education is overall. I mean, if you start a conversation about charter schools versus public schools, you're having a political conversation right there. Um, also, public schools are funded by taxpayer dollars. So as you're working within the school system and you realize we don't got enough books, we don't have places to play, we don't got art classrooms, we don't have so many resources that we need, well, where the hell is the funding for the resources that, that we need? And then when you visit uh, school districts in other communities that happen to be wealthy, you would think you were, you were walking in like the Jetsons or, 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 or something like that. They have, they have aquariums in, in, their, in their schools. They have state-of-the-art science labs, computer labs. So just experiencing that disparity uh, over a 20-year period uh, that I was in the public education system and then seeing how it would impact my kids, not just in the school, but beyond the school. You know, our kids are suffering, man. That, that, that's, that's the simplest way to put it. Our kids are suffering. We are the wealthiest nation on earth. 
We have tens of millions of children living in poverty. That's unacceptable. And our elected officials, because they've been so beholden to corporate interests and the wealthy elite, they do not put our kids at the top of the agenda. They do not center our children. So I just got sick and tired of working in a system and not being able to do more for my kids. And for me, everything starts with the needs of our children. So not only am I an educator, I'm a father of three. So I explored a run and we looked at the incumbent. You know, he was getting 22,000 out of 30,000 votes and he had 350,000 registered Democrats in the district. So it's like, okay, there are so many people not even engaged. If we engage them differently and authentically, they'll come out and support us. And that's exactly what happened. And that's how we were able to win. How do you go about that engagement at a time when people feel very demoralized with voting, period? You know, there's a conversation now. People are concerned that their vote won't even be put toward progressive aims. So how do you respond to that kind of apathy? I used to have that apathy, right? So I, I used to be one of those people. And when I, when I first registered to vote, I didn't register as a, a Democrat or Republican. I registered as an independent. And the reason why I chose independent is because as I look throughout history, you know, neither one of the parties did enough for me and my community. That was the way I perceived it. But in New York State and states like it, you cannot participate in primaries when you're an independent, which should be changed. You should be able to participate in any election, regardless of your affiliation. So that's when I transitioned to become a Democrat. Now, what made it more powerful and, and got me more excited about becoming a Democrat was the election of the squad in 2018. Okay, when okay. I saw my four sisters break through this white patriarchy and white supremacy, not just by winning an election, but then just shaking up the whole system once they got in, I was like, okay, I could do this now. You know, they provided the space and the platform for me to talk about the issues that I care about. So as I engage voters this cycle, number one, I, I you know, I, I'm coming from the same place they're coming from. You know, their experiences are my experiences. Number two, there's a shift happening in our country right now. You know, it's not just, you know, you know, six years ago the Black Lives Matter movement took off and now it's it's obviously reborn with with more, more, more veracity, but we're also electing people to Congress. So it's two things happening simultaneously. It's the movement and electoral politics. So now is the moment, particularly in the age of Donald Trump. I mean, if you, if, if we weren't engaged prior to him, we know we better step up in this moment because another four years of him, he'll have mofos in cages, man. Like, like again, we don't know what, what can happen with this dude. He's already put in our Latinx brothers and sisters in cages at the border. He's allowed this pandemic to kill over 200,000 of us, disproportionately black and brown. He's further defunding HUD and schools and healthcare. He's rolling back LGBTQ rights, etc. So he's already attacking everything we fought for over the last 40, 50 years. So if we ain't going to get involved now, I don't know what we're waiting on. And now is the time to get involved because now is the time you got people like me in the squad in office to rebuild the country in the way it needs to be rebuilt. Mm, mm. I love that so much. And with the essence of now, 
2020 is such a peculiar year. I'm we cuss on this show, so I have no problems calling this year a shit show. <laughs> you know, from the pandemic to racial injustice, climate change, there are so many social and political ills that particularly black and brown people are facing right now. And you know, we're talking about how communities of color can engage right now, but I'm I'm wondering why is now the perfect time for you specifically? to take office. I, I don't know. You ever been like pulled towards something and didn't really know what was pulling you? Mm. Um, I, I, mm. That's kind of what was happening with me uh, over the last two years, actually. And very specifically, the first full year of school after Trump was elected, we had 34 children die within the K-12 school system in the Bronx and 17 died via suicide. And one of the suicides occurred right across the the highway from me in Co-op City, where a young girl who was bullied in school, had no one to turn to, went to the top of a building and jumped off and died by suicide right after school. She did this. So everybody saw it. And then also in the district, same year in New Rochelle High School, New Rochelle's also in the district, two girls get into an argument, one pull out a knife, stab the other, kills her. And this is on top of a a murder happening in a Bronx classroom earlier in the year. The Parkland shooting in Florida, where I forget how many kids were killed during that mass shooting. And uh, the young man, Junior, in the South Bronx being jumped by some gang members and murdered on camera. So that was this was the year. And I'm like, I felt numb, you know, as educators, we do the best we can to solve every problem our kids are going through. You know, we do the best we can. We work with our families. We do all those things. And I just felt powerless and I felt numb. And again, I would meet with elected officials about a variety of topics. And I just never felt a sense of urgency around like getting something done for our people and our kids. So for me, it was like, you know what? Um, I'm going to get in. And at the very least, I'm going to be passionate and excited about it. At the very least, I'm going to be a learner first and a listener to really understand what what people are saying and going through. And I'm going to use that to create my policy. So, you know, sometimes you you just you feel it. Like I always tell my students and and my own kids, you know, trust your instincts, you know, Mm. follow your gut. Sometimes they educate us away from our gut. They tell us, well, Mm -hmm. you need data and you need all these things. And that's true, but trust your gut first. So for me, my, my gut pulled me in and, and based on the results and how things turned out, it seemed like uh, my, my gut was correct. I know that's right. Okay, I okay. know that's right. <laughs> <laughs> this is a time when a lot of New York children are going back to school. A number of students around the country have been going back to school over the last couple of months. And we've seen a lot of schools struggle to do it in a safe manner. The coronavirus doesn't look like it's going to leave us anytime soon. So what, uh, assuming Democrats take the White House, take the Senate and retain the House of Representatives, what sort of measures do you think need to be applied to schools to make sure they're properly funded and safe? So so let's go back uh, quickly to your question around why is it important to engage in electoral politics and voting? Like, if we were fully engaged, Democrats would already have control of the Senate, which means we already would have passed a a stimulus package 
which would have brought funding to our schools and made them more prepared to open, right? So that that's a critical point. So we can't assume that we're going to win the White House right now. We don't know what's going to happen. We can't assume we're going to flip the Senate. We don't know what's going to happen. If mm. people don't engage, anything can happen. And if Republicans maintain control of the Senate, we can lose 8,000 teachers right here in New York City by the end of November if we don't get relief right now. Mm. Right. So the first thing we would need to do if we take back all three is we need a stimulus package uh, somewhere in the neighborhood at the moment of three point five trillion to make sure we invest in small business and we get everyone back to work and fully invest in our schools and healthcare system so that we can hire more teachers and hire more nurses. Because right now we have teachers working an impossible task in our schools. You have some online classes that are as high as have as have as many as sixty kids in the class. There's absolutely Damn. no way for for a teacher to provide the individualized support to a class of sixty kids. So we need more teachers. Number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, our schools and classrooms have not been retrofit for uh, proper ventilation to keep us as safe as possible while we are in our schools. That is key. We're going back very early. So we need the resources. We need to retrofit our schools. We need to hire more teachers. We need to use alternative learning spaces. But because we don't have that, parents are put in a desperate circumstance to send their kids back to school anyway. And right now here in New York today, we just got a report where our numbers of coronavirus are back up above 3%. Mm -hmm. And if we maintain that average over the next week, we're going to have to close schools again. So our recommendation from the beginning was, listen, let's stay remote learning for now until we get our ish together. Then we open up accordingly when we are ready. And and let me just be very clear. Remote learning is not the best learning environment for kids. It's not. We know that. But at this moment, it's the safest. And I'm not ready to risk my kids' lives. And I don't want anyone else to risk theirs. So it's a shit show, as it was <laughs> referred to earlier. <laughs> exactly. uh, but but it's essential, though, you know, right now going forward, in, and this is a national conversation, we got to get Republicans out of these positions of power. We really do at every level. When we do that, then we can hold other Democrats accountable for doing the right thing. Republicans don't even want to talk to us. Democrats will have to because we're in the same party and it'll be a different dynamic. That's true. What do you think is the purpose of a 21st century politician? I mean, especially with us being in a shit show, like you just mentioned, with social justice issues, our current political climate, and with the world battling COVID. It's a great question. Um, And I think the answer is in the question. The purpose of a 21st century politician is to get us out of the shit show. That's the purpose, right? It's, It's for us to work in collaboration with grassroots organizations and movements on the outside while continuing to organize and push for progressive policy on the inside. So we're supported by the people, we're accountable to the people, so our policy is in alignment with the needs of the people. Stuff that is like common sense, right? So we're the wealthiest nation on earth. Everyone should have health care. And not just any health care, everyone should have exemplary health care, number one. Number two, we're the wealthiest nation on earth. Housing should be a human right. Everyone should be housed. We should not have anyone homeless. Number three, every school should be equitably funded in alignment with the needs of the children in that school. 
not funded based on property taxes, which is connected to the racist policy of redlining. We have to acknowledge our history of racial injustice in this country, which means we need to create policy that ends mass incarceration, ends police brutality, ends racial and economic injustice, and provides economic opportunities for those who have been historically ignored. These are just basic common sense principles we're, we're dealing with here. And here's another thing I didn't mention that I, I want to really emphasize here. Environmental justice, right? So if we don't respond to our climate catastrophe, in 10 years, we have no idea what our planet is going to look like. There are already droughts happening all over the world that are impacting millions, that, that is leading to military conflict and refugee crises already happening in different parts of the world. That is going to get worse. There will be more Hurricane Katrinas. There will be more Hurricane Marias. There will be more situations where we have to respond to severe storms and weather outbreaks. That's going to be times 10, times 100 if we don't deal with the environmental crisis right now in this moment. And last thing I'll say about that is the crisis disproportionately impacts poor people, black people, Latinx people, and indigenous people, both Thank here you. and in the global South. Mm -hmm. And with that, there are so many other things that, you know, should have our leaders' attention, right? A big conversation that's come up this year that you've also spoken about is defunding the police. Um, can you explain to our listeners what that means and how you intend to approach that fight within your district and beyond? It's a reallocation of resources away from what we currently spend it on versus what truly comprises public health and public safety. Right now, the police respond to way too much. They respond to mental health crises and they respond to other administrative, less violent occurrences that can be de-escalated, that can be talked down and redirected and, and handled by other agencies. But because police are responding, people are ending up dead because police aren't trained to do that. When we talk about violent crime, murder, rape, aggravated assault, that's 5% of what police officers have to deal with right now. The other 95% can be handled by other individuals and other agencies. So reallocate these resources toward providing food justice, housing justice, mental health supports, non-emergency response mechanisms like a visiting nurse service and fully funding our public schools. This is, we have to take a holistic approach and a holistic look at public health. If people have quality education, dignified housing, food justice, jobs and safe places to play and learn, there'll be no need for the number of police we currently have. And there currently isn't a need because police when you, when you survey people in certain communities, the police isn't what keeps them safe. The police actually bring more fear into an equation. So defunding is reallocating resources towards what we know truly supports public safety and public health. You mentioned earlier, you know, um, how the squad and, um, you know, this alignment of these newcomers uh, within office are really shaking the table, you know, and that's yourself as well. You know, you're really shaking the table in 2020 election could not be more consequential. What makes your approach and the vision for change different than establishment Democrats and career politicians? 
I don't know what their theory of change is. Uh, it seems like they support a trickle-down economic system and a plantation capitalist system that allows wealth to continue to be concentrated in the hands of the few while the majority of Americans suffer. They support that, the, the status quo politician. We take an opposite approach. So we support trickle-up economics, um, truly investing in the brilliance of people who have been historically uh, ignored and neglected and allowing them to build small businesses and build the community in their own image in the way that they see fit. First, allowing them to live with dignity um, and, and survive and then giving them opportunities to thrive and, and have what I call collective actualization and collective determination. I know that you've been thinking about this question the entire interview. <laughs> so the last question, because we know that you're extremely busy and you have to go, it's public knowledge that you're a big fan of the Wu-Tang Clan. If you could only listen to one Wu-Tang Clan song forever. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> what song are you choosing? Hard choices, as they say. Oh, man. Um, Give it us cream. What do you Good question. Uh, Cream would be up there. Uh, Bring the Ruckus is up there. Wu-Tang okay. Clan and the f is up there. Uh, oh, this yeah. whole album, Raekwon's whole album, Only Built for Privilege is up there. <laughs> what the song? song? Can we get a song? few bars? Can we get a few bars from your favorite song? Okay, the song I would pick is Triumph, uh, which is the first song off the second side of the Wu-Tang Forever album. Uh, Triumph. So... God, Inspector God. Deck usually sets it off, and, and you know he sets it off, and, and the verses, I bomb atomically. Socrates philosophies and high prophecies can't define how I be dropping these mockeries. Lyrically perform armed robbery, flee with the lottery. Possibly they spotted me. Battle scar okay. Shogun explosion mm. when my pen hits tremendous mm. ultraviolet sign blind forensics. Mm. I expect you through the future see millennium killer B soul fifty gold sixty platinum. <laughs> So so I know listen, I'm a big I'm a big Kendrick Lamar fan. I'm a big J. Cole hey. fan. Uh I, I like Drake it. too, but he sing a lot, but I like him. Inspector Deck is up there with all of them. Give Deck okay. his give Deck his respect. Oh, that's one of the best verses of all time, arguably for sure. Yes, sir. Well, Jamal Bowman, thank you so much for joining us on this inaugural episode, my friend. We hope you can come back to join us again one day so we can have this conversation again. Of course, man. Peace and love, y'all. Great to meet you all. And I know I'll meet you in person at some point. So there's the political circus and then there's the media circus. It's time for the rap, y'all. My girl, Lanithia Monique Johnson Leaks, also known as Nene. Where do we begin with her? A woman of many names. Nene has called out Bravo, Wendy Williams, and Andy Cohen. Here's the clip, y'all. Wendy, for you, spend more of your time trying to figure out how you can drain your enormously large legs and feet, okay? Opposed to worrying about my family and what we are doing. You need to find the nearest water pill. Okay? And Andy, remember, no one knew you until you knew me. What do y'all make of Nene calling out Andy Cohen, the man who gave her opportunity, potentially? 
So here's the thing. She, Nene is being so nasty, so rude right now. And as far as the way that she's calling things out, yes, I'm pretty sure that there is racism happening at Bravo because where isn't there racism happening? Exactly. She made a point as far as like, I, we knew Nene before we knew Andy. Let's be real. We knew That's Nene true. before we knew Andy. She did say that. One yeah. thing that I do want to see is like just... I don't know. This is her tactic, but if like I, I really want her to like mobilize in a different way. If it is truly about you know racism or whatever discrimination that she and other folks has faced at Bravo, rather than making it just like this spectacle, because I, don't, I think people tune the shit out because it feels like more. It just feels like she's coming at you know Eva or somebody or Kenya or somebody else on the cast, rather than like actually about what she's trying to do. I mean, me personally, I love Nene. Nene has given us, while you was running your mouth, I was running to the bank. She got quotables. Nene, <laughs> she got quotables. Nene has those, she has so many quotables. She has given us, I don't stab you in your back, I stab you in your front. And I feel like there is no Real Housewives of Atlanta without Nene, but I do agree. I do think that Nene has gotten an inflated ego. And I'm a Sag too, so I know how that can happen every now and then. I feel like Nene is feeling herself a little bit. And she got to wheel it back and humble herself just a tiny, tiny little bit. Because those opportunities that are piling up at the door could all be stopped. Listen, I feel like, but you know, she, like, she got, like, here's the thing. She got swag boutique. She got opportunities, you know? So, like, I don't think Nene gonna go hungry. She is the one, you know, who is bringing in one of the biggest bags on Atlanta. Like, the season where she wasn't on Atlanta, it felt very empty, However, I would love to see her, and I know this this is not Nene's brand. I would love to see her bow out gracefully because it's getting ugly. But it also has been like, you know, a bit boring, not even boring, but it, it feels like a bit excessive um over the past few seasons watching her because it's gone from just like shade and you know, good times and all that for the show to more like, oh, this feels very personal, very, you know, under the belt. And I just am kind of tired of it. Like, I, I, Nene, I love you, but girl, come on. I hear you. You don't want to see people go out like that, especially, I mean, I would consider her among the hierarchy of reality TV stars, mm-hmm. right? It's her. Right next to Tiffany. And right next to Tiffany, right next to New York, you know? So she's up there. She's been, she's not new to this. She's true to this. She's been doing it since when? 2008. So I love that she was she was letting people know, no, like I'm I'm about this and people know you because they know me. I'm, I'm I respect that. I'm that bitch is what she said. Show sure enough. And I respect it. I respect it too. Y'all know how much I love mess and ghetto shit, but I really have to pivot real quick to something that really was so healing for me, especially after a very I'm not going to lie to you, a terrible week when it comes to like news that was impacting black women. I don't know if y'all watch Lovecraft Country, but the uh, seventh episode, I Am, it focused on Hippolyta, one of the characters, and and they they followed her and really got into her um, pathology and, and took her on a journey and took us on a journey with her to show the expansiveness, the, um, the um, unlimitedness of, black womanhood you know she was able to transform herself into whatever she wanted to be she wanted to dance on stage with josephine baker so she did that you know she's 
traveling across country and she looks and she sees Bessie Stringfield, the first black woman to drive across America on a solo motorcycle and also a World War II veteran. She wants to um, to fight. She knows she's Hippolyta. So she transforms to um, some African nation where she is literally among the women warriors fighting, fighting for her land, you mm. know, letting people know, re- reminding people like they, they think that they can write off our anger, write off our pain as this, that, and the third, but we are the ones who tell our stories. And this love letter to black women, this love letter to black women's history was just so timely, just so timely after a week where we see black women's pain try to be minimized. And I, I just really love it. I implore all black women, especially to watch it and just to to feel that you don't even have to like really be caught up on the series to to watch it and like understand. But I especially implore implore black men to to feel that because you know at the end of the day, I mean y'all can't drop the ball on protecting us. Y'all really can't. I'm going to just go ahead and call it and call it as it is. Y'all can't drop the ball on protecting us, celebrating us, uplifting us because we constantly do that for y'all. And like, we need that. So no, that's it. But we're going to go ahead and move on to some movie news. So Barry Jenkins is actually going to be the one who is directing a sequel to another, um, Live action Lion King Lion film. King too. Love. I'm about that. I'm about <laughs> that. Okay, Barry. Love okay, Barry. Barry Jenkins. I hope he get it right. Oh, you sound concerned. You sound concerned, Shakira. I, you know, after seeing Moonlight, I shouldn't be, right? I yeah. shouldn't be. He's yeah. going to get it right. He don't got a choice. You know? Because live action one. Peace be still. I'll leave it there. <laughs> you didn't like the first live action Lion King? Hell no. What's wrong? Hell no. What's wrong? <laughs> Damn, man. It really wasn't no, it. It wasn't it. It was not the IT, you know? But I believe in Barry Jenkins. You know, he produced yeah. Moonlight without a big budget. And that's a masterpiece, right? Yeah. So if you could get white people to digest the story about black queerness, black rich queerness, you might as well. You you should be able to get motherfuckers to like enjoy a movie about lions. You know, and his visual storytelling ability is so 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 incredible. I mean, the colors in Moonlight. You know, I, that the iconic black uh, image uh, with the blue kind of background that where um, little is standing on the breeze, beach. Yeah. Little standing on the beach. Those are just iconic photos. So I'm really excited to see what he does with just the colors of uh, that you know are going to be in Lion King. I'm most excited about the deception, disgrace. Deception, disgrace. (laughs) I am ready because I I really hope this is Lion King 2 live action because I need that. I need the Ingu Pendy scene. I really don't care for another live action Lion King, to be Mm -hmm. honest with you. Love Barry Jenkins down. I know he's going to nail it. I know it. You know what, then? I'm going to say this here Mm -hmm. and I'll end on this, right? I don't think every movie needs to be a damn live action That's movie. It. I'm kind of a, I'm, I'm sick of it, but this is the last one I'm gonna give a shot the to. The last one okay. you're doing? Yes. I respect it. That's your word? And that's that on that. Yeah. Mm. Hey, that was ill, our first episode, y'all. Woo! We did 
did it. <laughs> Y'all, thanks so much for tuning in and listening to us. Thank you for coming into our living room and kicking off your shoes and listening to some news and some views and all of that. We'll be back every week, okay? So make sure you subscribe. Hallelujah. And on that note, you have three new friends. We are here to laugh with you, cry with you, enjoy your favorite songs with you, your favorite TV shows, movies, books. Mm. So stay tuned and subscribe everywhere you get your podcasts. And that's that. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.